You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach, and I want you to know that I wrote this blog today lying on my bed with my dog. And why did I do that? Not because I'm lazy. Okay, maybe. Maybe because I'm lazy, but maybe because I read an article, which I have linked on my website, lisabernbach.com, about women sleeping better with their dogs than they do with their human partners. Now, I wasn't asleep, but I was enjoying sharing my bed with Henry, who you know hasn't been well, and I'm hoping that there's a study soon that comes out that dogs will do better when they are sleeping with their female human friends. Today, we have a wonderful guest. Her name is Erin Richards. You know her from Gotham, the TV series, and she will be on in a little bit talking about her five things that made this week better for her. And I have to tell you, she's given me something to put on my bucket list. So stay tuned to that. But without further ado, here are my five things, if you don't mind. Number one, bubblegum. Okay, this is a little weird. I agree. I'm surprised to even hear myself say that I love bubblegum. Bubblegum made my week better, not because I chewed it. And honestly, that's a good thing too. But I love the idea of bubblegum. And I was having lunch with two friends who revealed that they love bubblegum. And suddenly I heard myself saying, me too. I love bazooka. I love bazooka. I do like a nice, well-placed reference to Bazooka Joe without sounding too much like Dennis Miller or Bill Maher. I do like Bazooka Joe with his turtleneck up to his eyes. It's fun. It's it's a good look. I I sometimes play Bazooka Joe um, when it gets very cold out. But I love the flavor of bubblegum. Okay, not... There is no such thing as mint-flavored bubblegum. I know you can get your Hubba Bubba in, I don't know, tropical flavors, fruit punch, raspberries, coffee and cream. I don't know. Forget it. That's not even legal. That's not legal. It's not okay. Bubblegum should taste like bubblegum. It has its own flavor, which is pink (laughs) and sweet. And... And then you can make bubbles with it. The thing about me and gum, I don't chew gum a lot, but when I chew it, I chew it very loudly. So I can only chew bubble gum privately, but I like it. Thank you. Number two, high school students are my number two. I met a bunch of really terrific high school students, particularly girls, after a discussion I got to moderate about the movie Beautiful Boy, which is a horribly true story about drug addiction and relapse amongst a a very privileged segment of society in Northern California. It is all true. David Sheff, the writer, wrote his memoir of this horrible time in his life. It's called Beautiful Boy. His son, Nick, who is a drug addict, wrote his version, which is called Tweak. Tweak is the most graphic and unpleasant and upsetting story of somebody with potential, with promise, with brains, with means, who slid and gave it all up for hard drugs. And then he got clean and he relapsed. And it's just, it's unbearable almost to read, almost unbearable to watch, except that Steve Carell plays the dad, and Timothy, known as Tim, Chalamet plays the son. Tim Chalamet is the product of New York City public schools. He particularly wanted to have this screening and talk with an audience of high school kids because he wanted them to be scared by what they saw in the movie, which, believe me, it's scary, but it's also a beautiful movie. It's uh, produced by Amazon. You'll be able to see it at home if you don't see it on a big screen. To me, what was exciting was not just being with this young star who does have that thing, that star thing that made it exciting when he walked in the room and everybody was squealing, but the girls who I talked to for half an hour or more afterwards had been touched by drug addiction. One girl's cousin had 11 relapses. 
They had friends who were scared. They were scared for their friends. One girl, so sweet, said, I'm so stressed. I'm stressed I'm going to do everything badly. The big lesson of the, of the day really was people don't take hard drugs to party and have a good time. They're taking those drugs because they're terrified or stressed. And I know that this is a stressful time. There would be no podcast if I were not stressed myself. But maybe this is a good movie to watch with your kids or watch with your parents or watch with your friends or read one of the books about it. But boy, oh boy, when I gathered those high school girls in our conversation and group hug, I felt tremendous amount of gratitude that they were there. They're going to help their friends. Their friends will help their friends. And in a way, we're in very good hands with them. I hope I see them again. I hope they like me. Once you're in high school, you're in high school. You know what I mean? Number three, I am not just a podcast provider. I'm a podcast consumer. Of course. Who isn't? Uh, And I have really been remiss in not recommending other podcasts to you. Now, my podcast is pretty short and and, uh, very portable. These require more of a commitment. Uh, My boyfriend and I listen to Bagman, B-A-G-M-A-N. It's Rachel Maddow's podcast. It's seven episodes of roughly half an hour each. It's all about the end of the Nixon administration, But it's not really about Nixon, although that's an important part. It's about Vice President Spiro Agnew, his running mate for both his terms, and what happened to him. It is, you know, Rachel Maddow is good at this. She's damn good at this. And she started in the radio. And she tells a story with sound clips and with details and with interviews like no one else in seven half hours or or so, you will learn something, a little chapter of history that is rather unknown and that is very uh, informative and resonant right now. I, I recommend it totally to you if you have any interest in politics. And if you don't have interest in politics, I'm going to recommend Dirty John. Dirty John is a show a friend told me about last year. I listened to episode one. It's also, I think, seven, maybe eight episodes, but they're about an hour each. It's produced by the LA Times based on a series uh, that was written by the man who hosts the podcast. It is a story of betrayal and love, and it is now uh, a Bravo scripted show starring Connie Britton, she of the beautiful hair, and Eric Bana. And I only saw the pilot so far. The podcast is so phenomenal that after hour one, I walked the dog, I came home, and I canceled my day. And I spent, okay, I spent seven or eight hours stuck, mesmerized by this story. A woman meets a guy on Match.com falls for him. She has been married four times before. She is a successful interior designer in Orange County. She has been married to a couple of bad guys already. Her sister had been murdered by her husband, and yet she falls head over heels for this guy who is not who he says he is. Man, that is incredible listening. It's free. Download it. Dirty John. And then when you've heard it, then you'll really enjoy watching it and seeing it come to life and seeing all those Chanel bags and Birkin bags that are very fundamental to the story. Number four, I take a class that is uh, taught by the best teacher at my daughter's high school, We call it Pilates of the Mind. It really is about things like freedom of expression, identity politics, how the it's bicultural. It's French and American because she's French. It it compares satire from a French perspective, from an American perspective, but it 
talks about Me Too and we talk about current events with her perspective of philosophy and law. It is so great. And the reason I'm mentioning it is, well, if you live in New York, you can sign up for it. You don't have to be affiliated with the school. And I will put the link to this next term of classes um, on lisabernbach.com. But, you know, when you're not a student, you don't always get a chance to have intellectual conversation. You feel self-conscious. You feel pretentious. You don't know where to go with it. You need a leader to mold the conversation or direct you to something, and you need to have good readings. And it feels so good to listen to somebody that smart on a weekly basis who makes my she makes me think. She makes my head hurt sometimes, but we call it Pilates of the mind, and I just feel enriched, and it's like having a great exercise class. Was that number four? You know what that means. Number five. He's doing it. He's doing it. Michael Cohen's gone to jail. I think Robert Mueller is doing what he set out to do. Thank you, sir. And now it's time to welcome Erin Richards to the show. Comic book fans know Erin Richards from her work on Gotham, but don't pigeonhole her. She is a woman of many and diverse talents. She came here from Wales. First of all, anyone who can speak or spell Welsh is a genius in my book. Secondly, she writes. She's directed episodes of Gotham. She writes for a blog. She made a film. And she does. She makes her own chocolate. So without further ado, Erin, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be speaking to you. Thank you. Now, uh, one thing that I find so interesting about your story is that maybe because there's a a loveliness about you, and I've only seen you on interviews, obviously we haven't met in person, but when you tell your story of coming to America and then getting a job in a week or, or you know, meeting a casting agent, it, it all sounds quite easy. And yet I know to get to a place where you are flown to America and working within a very short time, you had to have laid some big groundwork before that. Could you, could you either blow the image of all ease or could you... Um, um, just explain how it happened to you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I always feel like life is about putting in a lot of the hard work so that the so that these moments of serendipity can happen. And uh, that's exactly what happened with me. You know, I I've been acting for a very long time since I was sort of professionally since I was about seventeen, and uh, did did the the usual hard task of auditioning thousands and thousands of times and then by the time I had gotten out to America that that one week that I went um, which was actually a week later than I was originally supposed to go I was flying out with a good friend of mine Ioan mm-hmm. Rayon who is he's known from uh, Misfits and uh, Game of Thrones and uh, we have the same agent and we were going to go out to LA together and Iwan messaged me and he said, oh, can you go a week later because I have something I need to do. And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. So we went a week later and that is when I met Leslie Litt, who is the casting director who um, booked my first American job. So it's that thing of, you know, I I, I worked very hard and, I, and I'd been in a couple of things, but not, not, not made a huge break. Uh, and then just happened to be in that in the right place at the right time. And Leslie Litt was kind enough to give me a, a really big opportunity and take me to see the producers uh, on the on the day that I auditioned for her. She took me straight in to see the producers because I was flying out the same day. And and that's just how that happened. And then, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Aaron, I feel very that's... fortunate. That's like the movie Sliding Doors. What if it, right. you had gone the week you were supposed to go? I'm sure you've thought exactly. of that. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 also, you know, you say it, it sounds easy, and and when you look back, it it does. But um, the 
a very hard thing had happened to me in order to be in that position. I, I had been um, lined up to be the lead in Being Human, which I uh, I was on for the... I was on as a uh, kind of guest character mm-hmm. um, in the second season. And then when we were going to go into our third, I was I was set up to be the lead. And then the BBC changed their minds and they decided that they wanted a male lead. So, you know, I was absolutely heartbroken and I felt like my world was falling apart a little bit when I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when I decided to, you know, my agent said, well, why don't you just go and try a week in America? And so out of that kind of really hard, um, heartbreaking situation came a huge break. So I think it's it's always nice to remember. And I, and I always do try and remember when those things that happen that feel like there's no reason for them or, or that, that things are going badly you know you you have to remember that there's there's always a reason and that was that was the reason for not picking up that UK job was so I could get a big shiny American job. (laughs) Truly I I I couldn't agree more I think your field and to some extent mine are filled with disappointment and I Mm. often wonder whether those of us who choose an individual course playing ourselves or 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 being an actor or being a musician or being a writer have the right temperament for it because mm. you don't when you imagine yourself doing the job you're not imagining yourself being turned down you're not you know you're not dreaming of of having a bad audition or having an editor uh kill your story you're imagining a success and mm. uh it it does require a lot of mental, um, I don't know, good wiring and mental gymnastics to get through it sometimes. Mm, yeah, very thick skin and thick I, skin. I've gotten I've gotten very good at being uh, rejected. I, I always think of um, somebody told me once that when a snake sheds its skin, it goes blind for three days, and I always think about that when I'm going through slightly harder times. It's like when you're in it. You feel completely blind, but the thing to do is to not panic and know that on the other side of it, you know, you're gonna shed your skin and get it, get a, get a, a new one, a new, bigger, stronger skin. That's great, but I never knew that. That's really true. Snakes yeah. go blind. Yeah. That's why yeah. the ones in this neighborhood have glasses, I guess. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Oh, you, I didn't you know, know they, that. They regain, they regain their sight after the, the skin is shed. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. That time when it's happening. That's a, that's true because you're looking inward. You feel like a failure. You can't see mm. the trees because you're just moping and and mm-hmm. why me? Why me? And then two days later, something happens out of the blue that turns it all around. Mm-hmm. Um, and however many times I try and remember that while I'm in the the darker places, I always forget until like come out into the light again. I'm like, oh yeah, remember, remember, remember. It's always fine. Yeah, me too. I I have to say, <laughs> in the term of the these days, um, I also think mm-hmm. that it's interesting that you had a kind of common female experience, which is you're going to be the lead. You're going to be the lead. Whoops, we're giving it to a guy. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I was very disappointed in their decision because they were just replacing a man with a man. Um, but I think they, you know, it, it it was actually a little, you know, it was a while ago. So I'm not sure it would. I'm not sure it would happen right now, which is great. I think that the chances are it's more likely this time to go the other way. Hopefully that they start replacing men with women because of the you know current climate and the push towards minorities and women getting more lead roles, which is wonderful. So I think maybe now it wouldn't happen. You know, this was about six years ago. So um, it was a slightly different climate then. What do you think about what's going on with the Oscars now, since Kevin Hart was um, exposed to have had some problematic um, tweets in his past? And he, I guess he was the one who finally quit. But do you think that the Academy will pick a woman? Do you think the Academy should? Yes, I mean, I feel like there should be a diversity across everything that is happening in in all sections of TV. Um, but but at the same time, it should always be the person that's right for the job when there are plenty of women right for that job. Yeah, it's it's 
strange to think that so far there's no candidate to to take this over. It would yeah, seem I mean, to be a gig that everybody would want. Right. It's, uh, the Oscars is slightly harder, though, isn't it? Because you have to kind of toe that line. It's not as um, it's not as kind of open to comedy and and lightness, which is you know understandable. It's it wants it's the Academy and it you know wants to be, I guess, held in a slightly higher, more formal regard. It does, but on the other hand, you have the hard work of dragging three hours of stuff into three hours okay, yeah. and 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 making cuts and being limber and and moving with the flow I suppose I guess it's yeah. a thankless job but still one would think there'd be plenty of people but nobody wants to be chief of staff in the White House either right. maybe John Kelly could host the Oscars that could be interesting I wonder if anybody's thought of that uh, I've read some of your essays, Erin, and uh, you have had some very interesting and thoughtful things to say about what's going on with Me Too in your industry and mm-hmm. in other industries. I mean, I think the the mistake a lot of us made in the last year was that sexual abuse and assault didn't happen in the real world, only in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Do you um, do you? F- notice in the year since the the majority of the move since the movement got its legs let's say do you feel that things have changed is it different to work now in hollywood post uh roger ailes not in hollywood but in tv and post Mm. uh post harvey weinstein post i guess uh, uh bill cosby Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel it. I, I haven't, because I've been on Gotham, I haven't, my work situation hasn't changed in the time that it's happened. But I, I definitely feel that there is now this beautiful shorthand where if anything slightly inappropriate happens or even a joke or anything that is, um, could be construed as uh, inappropriate, you can just say hashtag me too. And it is so phenomenal that that quick moment can now be dismissed as you know this is this is unacceptable you know you can you just that 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 language is available now that as soon as you say hashtag me too somebody knows that what they've said might be inappropriate and we never had that before we never had that shorthand you'd have to you'd have to either step somebody aside and kind of explain or you would ignore it or you'd laugh it off and now we just have this amazing phrase that just puts everybody in their place, which is incredible. It really, it's it, it's a time saver and a feeling saver. And you're saying mm-hmm. that you've heard or you have yourself been able to say to someone, hashtag me too. All the time. Wow. All the time. Yeah. And it's not even, it's just, sometimes it can be used in a joking way. And that is also very effective because comedy is the easiest way to remind everybody without having to without having to be too heavy-handed with it it's a very comedy is an incredible way of leveling the playing field making putting somebody in their place without necessarily having to draw a lot of attention to it do you know what i mean like yeah you're putting them you're putting them in their place without making them uncomfortable actually you're giving yes. them a, or, a polite or just making way them the right yeah making yeah. them the right amount of uncomfortable and that's, <laughs> i love comedy so much for that you know it, it can be just a very quick easy way of being like let's not step out of line here you know maybe you used to be a little inappropriate and now i can pull attention to it and everyone else can laugh in the room but that person might go home and think to themselves actually yes i am inappropriate in the workplace and I should readdress the way that I talk to this person or do this thing. Yeah, I guess bimbo isn't a good compliment to a woman I work with. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, I, yeah. I never thought of that, but I have now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Erin, uh, I, I could talk to you for hours, but I want to go straight to your list of the five things that made your life better this week because you have mm. a great list. And and I I was warned that your five things are in no particular order. <laughs> so I will give them all equal weight. We'll call them all number one. 
Um, do you have the list in front of you? I remember it. Okay. So let's start. Number The first number one. Is meditation. Meditation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Please tell me how you meditate and how you work it into your life and what it means to you. So I've had a long journey with meditation in that I've known for a very long time that it is probably the best thing for me, but also the hardest thing for me to dedicate myself to because it, for some reason, I mean, a lot of things in life, you know, the things that are best for us, we don't do, but meditation, even just to sit down for five minutes, I I always have this, this idea that I don't have time, you know, in the morning I'm up and I'm showering and, and it just feels like such a thing to go and sit and meditate. But since, um, I have been, I, I got this uh, episode of Gotham to direct and um, the 100th episode, which I've just finished uh, two days ago. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was my first um, TV directing gig. And I knew that I had to get at least five minutes of meditation in before every morning just to settle myself. It, it's a very grounding practice for me. I, I tend to, my brain works in very fast and and I have I'm pulled in many different directions in my day uh, especially when I'm directing so it's a way to remind my brain how it should be processing and working which is just very calm measures grounded uh, easy um, way of going through life and so to begin every day with that reminder and also you know neuroscience has proved that the more meditation you do, you change the gray matter of your brain and I'm very interested in neuroscience as well as spirituality. So I've always known that it's very good for me and, and it made such a difference to me in these past couple of weeks to sit and do it regularly uh, to begin my day. Do you uh, use any audio meditation sites or are you able to just do it on your own? Um, it, it varies actually. I, I'm, I'm a real believer in having what you need each morning and not necessarily needing that to be a regimented thing. So sometimes I'll sit down and I'll just breathe. Sometimes I'll use a, a chant or I'll listen to a recording of a chant. Um, and then sometimes I will use a, this mindfulness website or one that I really like is called Insight Timer. Mm-hmm. And that has millions of members all around the world and thousands of meditations. You just type in what you need um, and you can, you know, people are rated and you can see which are the, the better ones. And that, I find that incredibly useful, that site, and it's free. Somebody, a good friend of mine, has recommended Insight Timer to me as well. And mm-hmm. at this point, I'd be surprised if they didn't have one that said, if you're going to direct the 100th episode of your TV <laughs> <Yeah>. series. <laughs> yeah, there <laughs> the is a lot time. of choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, were you, by the way, were you performing in the same episode? I was, yes. That's got to be hard, right? Yeah. I mean, luckily, I had made uh, two short films previously where the first one, I was the only person in it. And the second one, it was me and Corey Michael Smith, who's also on the show, plays Riddler. Um, so I, I did have experience of directing myself, uh, but this is obviously on a much larger scale, so it was it was a challenge. Um, did you have I, create? I, did you, Erin the actress, have trouble have creative differences with Erin the director? Erin the actress is an absolute nightmare to work <laughs> with. I'll never I'll never work. With <laughs> How funny. Um, it was it, what's what's very difficult is um to be in the moment of acting and not be assessing because the director brain is obviously looking at a wider picture and the actor brain is simply being in the moment with the character and mm-hmm. to try and switch off the wider picture part of my brain was was really difficult. I think I managed it um most of the time but Sometimes it would take me one take to remember to switch off the director brain, and then I would get into the actor brain. I totally get that. I totally get that. Okay, number two, meaning uh, number one, one A or B, is <laughs> meaningful friendships. Yes. 
I agree I, um, with you that that's very yeah. high on my list as well. Originally, I put female friendships mm-hmm. um, just because they're, they're so crucial to me. But then I, I didn't want to make it about, you know, because so many men have such incredible qualities. Um, and I have so many male friends in my life who I absolutely adore, um, as well as my female friends. So just just generally um, meaningful friendships where you can sit with somebody and really go deep into your emotions and what you what you're feeling at the time and find somebody who who when you speak to them they are giving you so much mm-hmm. um whether that's just by listening or with you know incredible insights into what you're going through and I'm very fortunate that I have a a really incredible friendship group in New York and in other places around the world I I've lived in LA and I have a beautiful friendship group there and in the UK so I, I always just feel so um, loved and held by my friends, which is really important to me. That's fantastic. You know, one thing is men in my, this is just my casual observation, but men, most men don't have really close, verbally supportive, emotionally supportive relationships with other men, but they can mm. be great friends to women. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really think that females bring out that. Um, because we're also taught that we're allowed to. Mm-hmm. And women are taught that they're allowed to discuss their emotions and men aren't. So I think when men come in contact with women in a friendship group, then they're able to they're able to be allowed to talk about their emotions simply because the, the female is present. But I'm I'm friends with um, a lovely uh, I'm a lovely man called Max Stossel who is a poet, and he does men's groups where they where it's exactly this they they sit and they talk about their emotions and i think that's so beneficial for men and it's a a wonderful program that he is involved in oh it Um, sounds fantastic and necessary mm, yeah very and and unusual i must say i know which is a shame because men really need to talk about their emotions especially right now they're going through so much with what's happening on a global level and a lot of the time, I think they feel quite lost and unable to work out how to get through it mm-hmm. um, because they have nobody to talk to about it. And they so, don't have um, that model of talking about mm-hmm. feelings. That's something yeah. their mothers did or their sisters did, but not their dads. Yeah, and I really, I ever since this Me Too thing has, has started, I've really... Um, even though I know that there's a lot of anger towards men and there should be an anger towards the, the patriarchy, which is absolutely valid, I also think that the only way we can get through this is by talking. It's not by pointing f- fingers and blaming, even though at first that feels good because obviously a lot of women, including myself, has, have been through a lot of trauma around sexual abuse or anything you know, in, in that realm. So the first reaction is always to be angry. Uh, that's a perfectly natural reaction and to point fingers and blame and push away. But I think when we have gone through that, which is which is something we all need to go through, then we need to come back to conversation and healing of mm-hmm. everybody. So that because the more you ostracize something, the more we split apart, which is obviously what's happening in America right now. We have this complete division because we're just pointing fingers at each other. And that will not solve the problem. The only way we can get through this is to come together and discuss our differences and heal and move as one. And that generally isn't what uh, some factions want to happen. It, no, you know, there's divide a, and conquer. Right. There's so much division here in every yeah, realm. Yeah, much easier to yeah. control. A population is so much easier to control when they're divided because they think they fight each other. Mm-hmm. Where really we need to come together and fight forces that are against us on a you know a higher level in terms of governments, capitalism, that kind of stuff. Like the bad elements of those. Uh, yeah. Movement. No. Uh, yes, and it and it can be very personal. Sometimes uh, on a grand scale, things seem impossible and impossibly rigid and, and bifurcated. Mm. But then when you go one-on-one and you see that person who did you a bad turn once and you can forgive them or begin to forgive them or you feel something that's not anger, that first time, grab that feeling and work with it. I've had Absolutely. some, I've had some good... Um, 
good experiences learning to do that. But enough about me. (laughs) (laughs) Your next uh, great thing is the creative outlets you have, not necessarily about directing and acting. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I, I, um, I'm such a huge believer in um, people finding creative outlets that aren't necessarily driven by the need to make money, um, which I've not ever really been driven by. I've always just been driven by my my love of storytelling or my need to bring people together. So um, one way I, uh, one other kind of creative outlet I have is writing, um, which I have started doing more recently. Uh, I used to have quite a bad, a difficult relationship with the English language because I'm uh, dyslexic. Ah. And I went to English, which means that uh, it was hard to pick up on my dyslexia because there's no dyslexia in in Welsh because it's a phonetic language. Hmm. So, yeah, for a very long time, English to me was, um, I just felt like I didn't have a real grasp of the English language. And if I was ever reading in front of people, I got embarrassed because I couldn't read as well as everybody else and spelling I was terrible at. Wow. So, so is English time. your second language then? No, I mean, I consider English my first language, but it was just that when I was in school, the English lesson would be the only time that I would read and spell in English. Mm-hmm. All other times I was reading and spelling and writing in Welsh. Ah. But... Um, they didn't discover I was dyslexic till I was in university. I studied um, politics and history. And in my second year of university, they discovered I was dyslexic and oh. it sort of increased my grades and everything changed. Um, but I still had a Oh, poor negative... you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> was you, it was a burden or an yeah, embarrassment I, for you. Well, yeah, I mean, t- to an extent, I, I, I was fine. You know, I, I would just, I, the thing about dyslexia is, is we adapt incredibly quickly so you just adapt to the current situation because you don't know any different but then when you receive the extra help or the extra 15 minutes in a class or the you know somebody telling you how to structure your work then it does make a huge difference to your grades um so that was that was great but I still had this voice in my head that was quite negative that Mm -hmm. was to do with writing where when I would try and write something this little voice would say like oh you're not good enough and so I had some NLP therapy, which is neuro-linguistic programming, which is a um, a form of therapy that changes the patterns in your brain. Mm-hmm. And I had some therapy uh, around that that voice, that specific "you're not good enough" voice, that kind of changed it into this Mickey Mouse sounding voice. That instead of my voice, it uh-huh. sounded like a little like "you're not good enough." So then, whenever <laughs> I heard that. I was able to say, oh, well, what do you know, Mickey? Like, <laughs> you don't know me. And then it went away and I and it was like the floodgates opened and I was just able to write. I wrote my two short films and now I'm writing a, um, a feature length film, which has just brought me so much joy because it's not, you know, it's not, I, I don't have to write it to make any money. I'm just writing for for fun. So that's for been the lovely. Pleasure and then I also do pottery on the side. Wow. With the wheel or or <laughs> with the wheel, yeah. Oh, that's cool. So relaxing. But to but to find a creative outlet that has nothing to do with needing to make money, I think is just a, a really um a, an essential thing in everybody's lives and we're not really given the time to do it. No, that's uh, true. Inclination. But also to do the pottery, to sit at the wheel and just go just just mm. follow those urges is not even a public thing it's not oh i'm erin the actress doing it it's just you're doing it for you <laughs> yeah. right absolutely absolutely unless I you have an etsy store that myself. you want to mention <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not my my little lumps of clay would be useless to anybody else <laughs> But 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 uh, healing and and exciting for you, right? And pleasurable oh, and, uh, yeah, and an accomplishment. So... And you have no air yeah. bubble in this one, and it gets to go. Right. It gets to survive. Yeah, or I make a little. I make a little misshapen pots, and I give it to my gran at Christmas time. And you know, it's it's much better than anything I could have bought because I've made it. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I I'm as a mother, I feel that way myself. Also, because yeah. my kids um, only, um, 
well, it doesn't matter. They're fine. They're very nice people. Um, your next is not drinking. Is this a permanent thing? Is this a, a recent thing? Is it? Um, tell me about it. So it's something that um, I've never really. I mean, I can drink. I'm a I'm a Welsh woman, <laughs> after all. We we are very able to drink other people under the table, and right. I have had spells of. Uh, drinking when I was younger but I I've always I've always been able to go through a whole night without drinking and have just as much fun and be just as you know um lively and present and uh energetic as when I am drinking so I just think that we we especially in the UK there's a there's a real belief that in order to have a good time you have to have a drink and it's actually really hard when you go out in the UK to and here sometimes to not drink because you somebody will say oh what do you want to drink and you'll say oh a soda water and everyone's like what come on have a drink and it's like this narrative that somehow if you're not drinking you're not enjoying yourself and um you're not I living just, your best life if you're yeah. not if you're not a little soused in in the UK yeah. I agree with that I've I've had days of over drinking because that's what the activity was in yes, London absolutely. in particular and yeah i've had i've had so much more experience recently of not drinking and being able to last longer and have a better time and be happier and, and also probably the next sleep day not better a crippling yeah exactly sleep better and not have a crippling hangover the next day but i actually can party harder when I'm not drinking than I can when I'm drinking. So I just, I, th I really feel like people should give not drinking way more of a chance. And also if you get a soda water with ice and lime, you look like you're drinking because you just look like you're having a vodka. A cocktail. Well, it sort, of, it sort of makes me feel badly that the peer pressure to drink alcohol mm. doesn't go away after you're of age, you know, you understand mm -hmm. when when sort of teenagers and young 20s mm -hmm. people say, come on, you're sort of enabling them and they're enabling you and you sort of talk each other into going out and 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 boozing. But it's funny that even when we get older, there is something about drinking as adults that um wants the company of other drinkers. A friend mm -hmm. of mine was on a blind date not long ago with a guy who didn't drink, and she just was turned off. Yeah, I mean, d dates are hard because you, because there is this idea that drinking is a relaxing mm -hmm. mechanism, and to some extent it can be. I mean, the thing that people forget, I think, is that alcohol is a drug. It just happens to be a drug that we've legalized. It's still a drug, so people when people do drugs they want you to do those drugs with them because that's what it justifies do, yeah. right? yes yeah, it's yes enabling so they want to do the drug and in order for them to do the drug you have to do the drug so that they don't feel bad about doing the drug exactly and you know just because we can tax booze doesn't mean that it's not exactly that so i think that that that, that is what happens a lot of the time yeah um, yeah and i just you know i i would i would much rather uh, smoke some weed or take some mushrooms than drink because to me alcohol actually isn't a very like pleasurable um, drug because it, it just kind of makes you sloppy and a little you know it doesn't really open me up to new ideas where if, if I smoke marijuana if it's nice and good and, and legal, obviously, if I'm in L.A. If you're in uh, L.A. and only in LA, in L.A. or Colorado LA, or Washington or State. Colorado, then you then then I, I am receiving information from the world. You know, I I can I I get new ideas. I I enjoy people's company more. I you know, there's there's a lot of we, we have we have created a system where Nicotine and alcohol are, and caffeine, which are actually three very damaging drugs for people, are legal and things like psychedelics are illegal and those things are actually very good for people. Like they really, they really open up your mind and make you um, a better human being in a lot of cases. And they're, I, not, and they're not addictive, whereas we have made nicotine, which is the most addictive drug 
known to man legal. Right. We can tax it. And it is so dangerous. It is really so, so dangerous. dangerous. Uh, quitting really smoking. Quitting smoking is one of the best things I ever did. And oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. But I had to do it it's more than once. It's one of the hardest once. things. Yeah. Yeah. It's impossible. It's... I've been out with many people who have given up, and while they were giving up, they were absolute nightmares. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the devil is inside you. The it's de- horrendous. The devil, and he deposits 12 pounds of unwanted junk in your stomach just because you stopped right. smoking. That is so rude. Right. 12 pounds. Each time I quit, 12 pounds. I didn't ask for them. I didn't like them. I didn't I didn't take good I care of that them. Devil. Damn him. Um yeah. no, I think I uh I I think it's a very cool idea. I just interviewed Nick Chef the other day whose book Tweak was the basis and his father's book Beautiful Boy of the new movie. Uh, that Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet are in, and it's about his addiction and relapsing. Yes. I was listening to, he was on the N- NPR the other day, I think, yeah. on the, yeah, speaking about it, yeah. And um, his his talking about substance makes it clear that alcohol and drugs had so much power over him. I'm not talking about marijuana, I'm talking about, um, crystal meth and heroin right. and crack yeah. cocaine, but the power giving giving all your power to the bottle or to the needle is mm. something uh, extraordinary. Especially when you're an educated, bright person, you know better. And he always knew mm-hmm. better. And he says that mm-hmm. now being able to enjoy life without any of it is the greatest gift he's ever known. And I was very struck by that. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not, I, I still have a drink. I had a vodka last night. Um, but I just think it's, I just think it's kind of being aware that, that, that we have habits and we also have um, ideas that are, that are potentially not based on reality. You know, we kind of have these ideas, oh, I have a drink, I have a really good time. And that's just kind of the pattern that we fall into. It's like, I just wish that people would, sometimes consider oh, and, and plenty of people too obviously but as a society maybe we could consider that just because these specific things are legal and fine that that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to give us a, a good time you know right we just have to kind of rewrite the story a little bit and maybe try not not drinking on a big night out and just see if you have a good time well anyway. that's, that's right you can have your own good time you don't have to have what's his name's good time Exactly, yeah. And some people are much uh, uh, much better, you know, much... I, I think I might be... Uh, well, everyone's allergic to alcohol because it is essentially a poison, but some people are, are, are fine and they can get through it and they can get, get up the next day and, they, you know, and they're fine. But I think for a lot of people, me included, I, alcohol can be a huge depressant as well, mm-hmm. you know, so you're kind of stuck in this circle of... You know, you want to feel better, so you have a drink, and then the next day you feel worse, so then you have another drink to kind of try and make yourself feel better again. And if you just stop the cycle a little bit. You're making me not want to have a drink tonight, which is not a bad thing. I don't have to drink every night. Um, right. And, and I, I don't. Like when I, and what's really interesting, actually, is when I give up booze for an extended amount of time, like I'll do it for a month or two months. I don't need booze and you know I don't want another drink so when I taste alcohol for the first time after a couple of months I'm like this isn't actually that good oh, but I then had that. if I yeah. keep yeah right and then if you keep drinking though if you if you drink for a couple of days in a row then you need the drink again because it's a drug so you so you get into the habit of drinking again but it's it's just because you because it's a drug it's a habit it's like it's not actually that pleasurable You've just told yourself it is. The same with everything. I mean, I'm a huge sugar addict. I love chocolate, as we'll discuss later, I'm sure. So it's just exactly the same thing. Like, the more you have of something, the more you need it. It's true. Last February 1st, after 31 days of not drinking, confronted with Mm -hmm. a drinks menu, I had no clue what to have. And Right, because you don't actually want any of it. Right? No, because it's a poison. I liked. I like, like the. Oh, I love. I like I, this poison. Please. Yeah, yeah. I'll just take some poison. I um. 
Poison on the Rocks, please, with a twist. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was it was it was a funny it was a funny drink. I I mean, I ordered a drink. I didn't finish it. I don't think. I know I certainly mm-hmm. didn't have a second drink, and I felt mm-hmm. like that was a big nothing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It changed over exactly. the next few days, but it, right. it was, yeah, right, because you're you right. Because you the taste of it again, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just a drug. It's, it's just, just drug. another drug. <laughs> Speaking of drugs that are good for you, or so they mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. chocolate. Now, I, I'm always confused. I see that dark chocolate is supposed to be very good for our hearts and for our health, mm-hmm. and then you read something that says it's not good. Uh, I'm I'm going with the argument that chocolate is good. It's kind. Yeah. It, it loves us. What, what feels good. Yeah, <laughs> and chocolate always feels good to me. It's a big um, heart opener. And I don't know if you've ever heard of um, cacao ceremonies, but it's, uh, it's a, a, a form of therapy that sort of comes out of native traditions, like the Mayans. Um, uh-huh. They run these things where you drink uh, cacao, which is just a chocolate um the bean that's been crushed down and it doesn't really have anything added to it and you drink it in this uh in a circle of people and it has a very powerful heart opening quality so you tend to bond with people that you're in the circle with and it's essentially just group therapy with some chocolate (laughs) but i've had several experiences with drinking cacao and it has just a if if the bean itself has been grown with love and um, often I've drank cacao that has been grown in like a, the specific Mayan village of the shaman that will be conducting the ceremony. So it's kind of a, a very special loved process that happens to the bean. Um, I, I've, I've definitely had a high from it, you know, even though it's just chocolate. And where so it sounds like this is something one travels to South America or Mexico to do. I mean, you can, but the, the, I've done ceremonies in in a in a loft in Bushwick. Oh, <laughs> I want I want the address. Oh, I'd yeah, love to go. Everywhere. Yeah, is that a, a regular thing a, that one can absolutely, do? Absolutely, absolutely. There's a beautiful um, place called Ambrosia Elixirs in Bedsty. Uh, oh no, sorry, in Bushwick. It's on. Troutman Street, I believe, and they run cacao ceremonies every week. Imagine that. I, yeah, it sounds so everywhere. exotic. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, there's Golden Drum in Greenpoint, there's uh, the Womb in Manhattan, there's uh, the Assemblage. So there's plenty of places. Cacao wow. ceremonies are, are everywhere, yeah, and they're all different. Um, so just find the one that works for you. Oh, wow. Aaron. Something to put on my January list of or of of intentions and uh, <laughs> and plans and bucket list and all that. Well, mm-hmm. I I thank you so much for joining the program. I really recommend that people tune in to Gotham. When is your episode airing? By the way, that you just directed uh, my episode, I believe, as March ninth. March ninth. I'm going to make sure I don't go to a cacao ceremony that night so I can watch it live. And I think you're delightful and have a wonderful holiday, Erin. And um, you're in your apartment wearing velvet from head to toe and being just sliding around just, in velvet. Just sliding around in velvet, writing your movie, making a pot. And, and then making, yeah, making my own chocolate. And then making your own chocolate. And what a nice thing to do. Absolutely. Have a great holiday, and thank you so much. Thank you. Lovely to speak to you. Thank you. Until next week, stay warm and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers. <laughs>